everyone, and welcome to the Accountability 2021 Perspectives podcast series, where we discuss the roadmap of federal reforms in Accountability 2021, developed by good government advocates from across the political spectrum to restore accountability in the federal government. I am Ufoma Otu, Communications Director at Open the Government. Today's topic is Restoring Accountability in Biden's Justice Department. And joining me for a temperature check on this topic is Anne Tyndall, Policy Counsel at Protect Democracy and one of the contributors of Accountability 2021. Anne, it's a pleasure to have you on. Let's start with good news, or at least progress. What has Biden's uh, DOJ done so far that advocates can look at and, and comment? Well, I mean, I think the most obvious positive movement we have seen from the Department of Justice to date is is its posture with respect to the January 6th uh, investigation in Congress and the certainly correct but also perhaps not entirely expected conclusion from DOJ and OLC that Biden need not assert executive privilege. And in fact, it would be contrary to the public interest to assert executive privilege over information related to the previous administration's um, efforts to overturn the election and subvert the constitution. The statements out of DOJ and the White House on this have been quite good Mm -hmm. and suggest that they they get just how serious the threat was and will and will treat it accordingly. Yes, that's definitely some some good news. What areas do you think the department is still in, in need of in, improvement so far? Well, I mean, I think that is probably um, where I would start and end on the um, positive actions so far. <laughs> I think DOJ, they have said a lot of good things, but so far, we haven't seen much in the way of reforms and much in the way of accountability. And I think, in a way, Attorney General Garland signaled that the appetite for accountability and, and reform at DOJ was going to be limited in his very first speech when, despite what we all saw over the last four or five years, he insisted that the norms of treating like cases alike and making sure that no one was above the law was part of, and I'm quoting uh, Attorney General Garland here now, the DNA of every Justice Department employee. I think to look at what happened to Andy McCabe and the fact that the Justice Department pursued a politically motivated case against him, to look most shockingly, obviously, back to January 6th, that what was happening between the White House and the Department of Justice in those fateful days after the election suggests that the DNA may be somewhat different than Garland has assessed it. Um, and so, you know, some some serious training on the oath of office and, and work to identify those who were responsible for politicizing DOJ over the past four years are identified and held accountable. That is that is is so far missing from what we've seen out of out of Garland's Department of Justice. 
And in addition to your contributions to A2021, you were also instrumental in, in uh, Protect Democracy's report towards known recurrence, accountability yes. options for Trump era transgressions. Yes. And it also includes very transformative recommendations like A2021, particularly, and you took us seamlessly there, White House and DOJ attorneys who facilitated potentially unlawful abuses of previous president's pardon power be held accountable. But how realistic is that? I mean, I think it is as realistic as, I mean, you know, the Department of Justice has done hard things for a long time. And I think that the question I would, I would sort of turn that question around and say, how realistic is the threat that those, those sorts of abuses will be repeated if we don't hold those people accountable? And it's very high. The, you know, that the report you mentioned makes very clear that where abuses of power have occurred and those responsible have not been held accountable, the abuses of power only get worse. And however politically challenging the department may find that accountability work, if Merrick Garland wants to pass on a Department of Justice prepared to defend democracy, he needs to get to work on that part of the job. In previous episodes, we talked about the importance, right, the significance of FOIA in government. Um, can you explain, you know, for our listeners, the role DOJ can play in a more efficient implementation of FOIA? Sure. Um, you know, DOJ has a number of obligations under under FOIA, but you know, I think the the, the primary role it could play is in setting the, the the guidelines for what will and will not be turned over. Actually, acting on legal reforms that require the default to be transparency. That is, while that is in the law, it is not yet in the practice of the federal government. It could also support having worked in the executive branch and, and dealt with FOIA. I have some real sympathy for the backlogs that build up at agencies because, however, you know, because administration after administration has chosen not to make transparency a priority and has not staffed and funded the offices responsible for responding to FOIA sufficiently to do the job and pushing for that kind of, for that kind of support is something that DOJ and the administration more, more broadly could do. More people in the job means more information in the hands of the American public, which you know, mm-hmm. we know as a general matter makes us a more effective ultimate sovereign if we know what our government is doing. And one of our recommendations is to review pending FOIA litigation and to set new litigation criteria. Can you walk us through how, how would that look? How long would that even take? Well, it's hard to know if if the administration really leaned into the requirement for a default of transparency, there are a number of cases that could probably be dealt with pretty summarily. But I don't have much hope, to be quite frank, that we will see that kind of uh, of action from the administration. And I think the 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 most salient example of this is is came very early in the administration when the Department of Justice continued to defend failing to release a memo about the uh, the obstruction of justice charges in Robert Mueller's report on Russian interference with with the 2016 election and despite a 
federal judge identifying that not only was the Department of Justice being overly aggressive in its interpretation of the law in a case so essential to the public understanding and the accountability that comes with that, the judge found that the Justice Department had even misled the court on the contents of that memo. And yet DOJ is still defending. It's withholding that memo in litigation. It is hard to, it is hard to imagine that a robust reassessment of its FOIA stances is imminent. It takes us to a, an even harder question. Then. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, the A2021 recommendation that DOJ, the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel, release yeah. all final legal opinions to the public. Right. How do we go about prioritizing that and time frame and sure. what, where, I mean, why, how? Right, right, right. I mean, I think that if I could be a bug in the ear of Merrick Garland or his closest advisors, I would put OLC reform at the very top of my agenda, maybe right after pressing voting rights violations. Okay. You know, OLC has played the key role in an ever-expanding interpretation of what executive privilege means, and it has done so often in the dark, or when its opinions are rela- released, it has done the, it has done so, it has released them you know, sort of defensively and strategically, not with a, an eye towards informing the public. You know, we saw the OLC under Trump sign off on shocking decision after shocking decision, whether it's around family separation or the the Muslim ban or the absolute stonewalling of Congress in its attempts to to hold the administration accountable. Transparency, I think, is a is a key piece of reforming OLC. That honestly might be the the easier step, releasing, you know, making making OLC opinions public. Simply, you know, if it's gonna be the if if OLC opinions are going to be effectively law at the Department of Justice, we all should be able to understand what that law actually is. I think some of the harder work to be done at OLC is around who gets to make that law, you know, is it, it is now a, a largely politically appointed office, hence the tendency to, to protect the current occupant of the office maximally. And it, it needs to review some of the decisions it has made in the past and, and revoke them. There's precedent, there's precedent for that. You know, the infamous torture memo from the Bush administration when Jack Goldsmith became head of OLC, he he rejected that memo. He said, I do not think this is persuasive and I'm in, and it is no longer good law at the Department of Justice. There are a number of, of both uh, Trump and Trump era and, you know, previous administration era opinions at OLC that need to be revisited so they cannot be relied upon. Um, you know, so they're not greasing the wheels for the next authoritarian president. We talked a lot about political interference at DOJ. Do you, do you see and how in the past the previous administration used 
power, so to speak, in that regard. Are you optimistic regarding that same topic with Biden's DOJ? You know, I mean, this is actually a place I should I should have, have offered a little more credit up top on, on White House contacts as well. You know, it took a minute for the Department of Justice to put out publicly its policy on, on interactions with the White House on specific law enforcement matters, which is a, you know, sort of highfalutin way of saying it's, it's policy on not politicizing law enforcement for the benefit of the president. But that the policy they put out is is a, a reasonable one. And our sense is that the White House has actually been, you know, in practice, quite careful about not overstepping, not overstepping this line. You know, the, the caution I would offer there, however, is that the policy can be easily revoked by the next president. Um, or as was the case with so many policies and laws, under when when Donald Trump occupied the White House, the next authoritarian can just ignore it. And so I would go back to the point, you know, I started with, which is if you don't undertake an independent review of politicization at the Department of Justice and hold accountable the people who were involved in political decision and, you know, politicized decision making, we're, you know, we're just going to see this happen again. Deterrence, deterrence through through accountability is going to be much more effective long term than a White House context policy, despite the fact that for the next four years, I think we can we can feel good about the fact that there there is one in place and, and this administration seems committed to, to that principle. One of the things we'll be hoping for from the DOJ, as you hinted earlier, is for Garland to actually put out a four-year memo. Long overdue at this point in previous administrations, it was already out there. Do you think it's something that we could expect for the administration in this first year, or do you think it's just not going to happen? I think it. I think it is is fair to expect it. It is an important important part of the Department of Justice's obligations. But I I don't think we have have seen FOIA transparency, with the exception and the very very important exception of January sixth, as as a real priority. Right, which is very interesting because when he came on board, Garland was very he praised. FOIA. Yeah. He committed to upholding FOIA for yeah. the agency. And so we're hoping that uh, the memo will be forthcoming shortly after right. that. But exactly. uh, alas, we're still waiting. Right. So, as I yeah. said, there's a lot, it's easier to say things than do things. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. This is true. So the year is almost out. Are there any other action steps you would like to see the DOJ take before the year closes out? I think, I mean, I've touched on an independent review of politicization. I think that would be extremely important. You know, the other the other place I would I would point to is the ultimate the ultimate accountability for political actors is and for the president uh, in particular is an election and January sixth and the the lead up to it the the undermining of the election that took place um, through starting immediately after polls closed with the help of of people in the White House and at DOJ threatens to remove the most essential accountability tool we have and. The administration has announced a task force on protecting election workers. has has talked about has talked about hiring more voting rights litigators, but it hasn't 
done much. <laughs> we haven't um, we we haven't seen teeth on this. Um, we haven't seen any real teeth in this this sort of renewed focus, rhetorical focus on voting rights. I think that if I could if I could move the Department of Justice on anything, that's where it would be. And and to to really engage with what happened in the last administration and, and not take for granted that the that whoever holds power at Department of Justice will have equal enforcement of the law in their DNA and start doing some real training at DOJ on what it means to to swear an oath of office, to just to, to take an oath to the Constitution, how you are supposed to prioritize your work with that in mind and what obligations you have to the American people about how you about how you undertake it. Well, and is there anything else you would like to add? One last thing is is you know the accountability 2021 coalition along with you know our our organizations individually have certainly put a lot of work into the protecting our democracy act and there are a number of of reforms in that in that legislation that could prepare us to to better withstand abuses of power like those we saw under Trump. So far, the administration has not taken a position on the Protecting Our Democracy Act. And, you know, we would we would certainly welcome support from the administration in, in making those necessary reforms and, you know, those guardrails really against abuse of power uh, part of our part of our law. Okay. Well, on that note, I would like to thank you, Anne, for sharing your insight on government transparency today. And thank you, listeners, for checking out this podcast. Feel free to reach out to Open the Government at info at openthegovernment.org. And for more information on Accountability 2021, visit accountability2021.org.